Open your Bibles, Genesis chapter 21. Today we're going to continue our dive into a very flawed family. We have been looking and exploring in the midst of drama, in the midst of chaos and problems and complications. We serve a God and know a God that even though we have mess ups, he doesn't give up. Amen. We've been looking at Abram. We looked at Sarah. And today I want to look at this story, approach it from the eyes and perspective of Ishmael. Say Ishmael. He's the son that has been caught up in the midst of all this drama. If you've ever struggled with conflicts that has stemmed from your family of origin, can somebody say amen? Amen. You want to listen up today. If you've ever needed God to clean up something that you had no part in messing up, then this message is for you. Say, listen up today. Listen up. Genesis chapter 21. Are you there? Amen. I'm excited. Verse 5. Abraham was 100 years old. When his son Isaac was born. Verse 8. And the child grew and was weaned. And Abraham made a great feast one day. That Isaac was weaned. But Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, whom she had born to Abraham, laughing. Father. Give us your wisdom here. I want to review the context as we get into this story because I want to unload a couple of things to you this morning. A couple of things in this context. God had promised to bless every nation through a seed, an offspring of Abraham. That's back in Genesis chapter 22. We got the covenant, the promise that God gives Abraham. Leave your, your family, your household, your nation. Go to a place I'm going to show you, and I will make you a great nation. Yet by Abraham's 80th birthday, in his 80s, Abraham is still childless. There's no kid in sight. So one day, the light bulb goes off in Sarah's mind, his wife. And she says, I got an idea. I'll have my handmaiden, Hagar. I'll give her to my husband. I'll have her... Be a surrogate. They have a one night stand and I get a child. It's not her brightest moment, church. It's not the best moment in her life. And although the culture does not condemn it, although there are no laws against it, it definitely was not the best decision. And it was definitely not God's plan. So shortly thereafter, Ishmael is born. And Genesis chapter 16, verse 16, tells us that Abraham is 86 years old. Imagine that. Becoming a daddy at 86 years old. How are you going to run after this kid? I'm 38 and sometimes I need a break. I need to work out. That's what I need to do. But that's another story. Now, as we open up to Genesis chapter 1, verse 5. I want you to put yourself in the shoes of this 14-year-old boy. Abraham was 86 when he was born, and the Bible tells us that he's 100 years old when Isaac is born. I want you to put yourself in Ishmael's shoes. You grow up hearing all the time that there's this great promise weaved into the fabric of your family. And then you rejoice, right? You rejoice hearing this. God is going to bless all nations through one of my dad's kids. And hold up, I'm my dad's only kid. 
I'm the only one born of my dad. You rejoice at the fact that your dad's got no other children. And so for 13 years, you just revel, you just rest on this divine promise. And you take on this divine purpose. For 14 years, things are amazing. It's all about dad and it's all about you. I love dad, dad loves me, it's all about us. We have a grand old time, things are good. For 13 years, this boy just spends time with his father. And now, one day, his dad shows up and that says, yeah, so son, there's gonna be another kid coming into the fold. There's gonna be another child coming home with us. And son, he's going to be a boy. You're going to have a little brother. It's going to be exciting. His name is going to be Isaac. But then Ishmael starts hearing, yeah, there's going to be a boy coming home. But I heard apparently he's the one that's promised. He's the promised child, which means I'm not. And now, all of a sudden, that gave me this notice, and he gave me this update, and now things are different between us. Things are different at home. Now, every time I go around, and every family reunion, and every little thing, all I hear Sarah say, all I hear everyone say, is Isaac this, and Isaac that, and Isaac here, and Isaac is the golden boy, and Isaac's going to do great things, and nobody talks about me anymore. Ishmael, me, what happened? Like, like, did I go invisible? Can you imagine 13 years, it's you and dad. And now everything changes. Anybody getting some flashbacks here? Anybody relate with this? Maybe you've got a talented brother or you've got an overachieving sister. You know, the, the, the people that you think, you know what, maybe they, they got all the good genes and it seems like I got the leftovers. You know, my, my brothers, my sister, man, they get all the grades. They get all the dates. They get all the medals. And here I am just, I'm trying to get something. Anybody feel like that? Although your parents probably will deny it, and I pray to God it didn't outright say it, you know for a fact, man, there's no way I'm the favorite. And let's not get it twisted. There, there are favorites, okay? There are favorites. And I just get it good because I can say you're my favorite son and you're my favorite daughter. I got one of each and that's it. I'm good. I got some differentiation there. So, But... But, but stop and think about this. Sometimes it feels like or it seems like and, and families will try their hardest. But there comes, you know, points and times in man's flawed humanity that, you know, some kids get a little bit more of a, a break than others. A little bit more of a preferential. Come on, if I'm preaching to the choir here, somebody help me out today. Let me get a witness. You've, you've gone through this. You felt this or you hope, right, that this wasn't the case. But let's widen the lens a little bit. Not only has he spent eight, 13 years with dad and him, and it's all about him, but let's widen the lens. While you love your dad, your dad doesn't love your mom. No, dad loves Sarah, his wife. 
Oh, and stepmom Sarah, we don't quite get along. She 100% does not love me. Hagar, my mom, oh, though, she, she loves me. But the problem is my mom, she can't parent me. That role belongs to dad's wife, not the hired hand, not the staff. So although mom loves me, mom can't go all out for me. Mom doesn't have the final say with me. I got to go to stepmama who doesn't quite like me. Can you imagine this boy for 13 years? He's going through this. And now there's an announcement. And now there's a child that's about to be born. That this boy is living his entirety of his life under drama and resentments and divided loyalties and constant tension. This is the life that this boy lives. So is it any wonder to you when you open up to Genesis chapter 21... That you find this kid when everybody is celebrating, everybody is there in this environment with such a backstory. Does it shock you that you find him lashing out at a family party? I'm not saying it excuses his behavior, but I can understand the tension that he's dealing. And boy, don't simmered tensions have a way of surfacing? No, you all have perfect Thanksgiving dinners, right? You all have perfect Mother's Days and Father's Days and reunions. Everything goes on without a hitch. You know, we went for a family vacation, and I thought it was going to be the best thing. We were going to go to the beach down in Ocean City, Maryland. We're going to have a great time. The hotel is here. We're on the boardwalk. There's restaurants. There's games, arcades, the beach. There's sand. There's water, the sun. The kids are going to love the kites. Everything's going to be good. We needed a vacation from our vacation with our children because all it was was a wine fest and and, and a complaint party and a pity party the whole time. Nothing was good. And that's with kids and we all love each other. And there was no drama. There was no other situationships going on. There was no other situation. It was just us and everything was supposed to be good. Now you add some tension in the mix. You add some drama from this person and decisions that that person made and all these different things. Y'all get together at a family reunion. Good luck. You better go to those things prayed up. You better be fasting before your family reunion because you want God. Please, Lord, just keep the food on the table. God, keep us loving each other so we can make it to the next holiday, right? Tensions are here in this family. And so in verse 9, while everybody is celebrating, Ishmael starts laughing. And your Bible might not say laughing. Your Bible might say scoffing, mocking. We don't know exactly what Ishmael does here. But one thing we do know is that it carries, the Hebrew word carries a negative, harmful nuance. And the bottom line is stepma Sarah saw it go down. She saw it all. Whatever he said, whatever he did, whether he's making fun of the birthright, whether he's making fun of the means of how he was born. Yeah, you were born to old, old parents and blah, 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 blah and, and whatever. I don't know what it is, but there was something that happened. And now this boy is caught. So look with me, verse 10. So she, being Sarah, said to Abram, cast out this slave woman with her son. Now, I don't know about you, but when I read that, I'm like, man, this escalated very quickly. 
This escalated quick. Like, and honestly, if I could just be honest in church, I heard we could be honest in church. I do not like her immediate response. I'm not really liking Sarah here. The Bible tells her, calls her in the New Testament, a woman, a model of faith, a a model for all women, according to Hebrews and according to Peter. But what is she doing here? Her immediate response is put out this woman and her son out of the house. Evict them, boot them, banish them, excommunicado. Don't want anything to do with them. I'm not a fan. If I recall, Sarah, last time I checked, Ishmael was your idea. If I go back to chapter 16, he was your idea. Oh, and by the way, you said, let them have a one night stand and I get a child. He is your son. Although he was born through a surrogate, he is yours. The responsibility is yours. The authority is yours. He's in your household. He belongs to you. You get the final say. So why is it that Sarah does not correct the kid? Why doesn't she go over there and pick him up? Kids are being kids. Hey, go over there and discipline Ishmael. Why don't you go ahead and take away his PlayStation? Take away his allowance. Do something. But her immediate reaction is get him out of the house. He's 14 years old. And you're kicking him to the streets. To the curb. Friends. Here's the first thought that I want to leave with you is this, that decisions are not executed in vacuums. Watch out for collateral damage. Decisions are never executed in a vacuum. You got to watch out for collateral damage. Verse 10 says, for the son of this slave woman shall not be heir with my son Isaac. This is why Sarah doesn't correct the boy. She finally sees for Isaac what Ishmael has endured his entire life, collateral damage. The decision I made in the past is going to rob a piece of my future. Boom. She finally sees, according to ancient, near ancient texts, legal texts of the time of these people, There was a law that stated that a slave, a child born of a slave wife could also inherit with the primary wife's children. And now is the moment, whatever he said, now it dawned on her. Oh my gosh, Ishmael is still Abraham's son. Ishmael can still claim a portion of the inheritance. He is going to cause collateral damage for my boy's inheritance. What will be left over for Isaac? Because according to the the Bible, the firstborn gets a double portion. She's realizing, I didn't think this through. I didn't make margin for God to show up in my life. But I took things into my own hands and the decisions that she made 16 years ago, 13 years ago, are now causing collateral damage on her newborn's son life. Friends, decisions born of the flesh are very short sighted. 
They're very short-sighted. Friends, our decisions are like stones. If we take a stone and throw it into a pond, they have far-reaching ripples that we just cannot control where they'll go. These decisions not only rob you of your future, they lock in your actions. Look with Abram. It tells us in verse 11 that Abram is so conflicted over these things, it very much displeased him. Because Ishmael is his son. He's heartbroken over the whole thing. Sarah wants his son banished. Friends, be careful executing plans outside of God's will because not everything will fit neatly back into the box when you realign to his will. Anybody here ever bought furniture that you've got to assemble? I bought some right now and we're having a conversation at my house because the box is in my garage and I just do not want to disassemble this thing because I know that I will not be able to put this darn thing back in the same way, fit nicely, fit smoothly. Why? Because chances are, as you go through life, right, that you uh, probably lose some of the packaging or you break some of the packaging or you mess up some of the, the parameters or maybe even you picked up a couple of pieces and now you try to put everything back in order and it doesn't fit right it doesn't fit at all it, some things are bulging out sticking out all kind of, everybody experienced something like that you're frustrated you got to return this thing but you just can't get it right yeah Abraham you can't get it to fit back right now you've got your promised child Isaac but the heart that you have invested the love that you've poured out the very piece of your heart that is your son Ishmael well you know what the other piece of God's will in your life your wife Sarah oh she has no room for the other piece of your heart to remain in your life it locks in your decisions not only that, these decisions create more questions than answers. Finally, I want you to consider, we're talking about collateral damage. What is Ishmael, if not a huge casualty? He is the biggest collateral damage in this whole thing. Here is a boy who is a product of someone's situationship between Sarah, Abraham, and, and Hagar. For all of his life, this boy has endured collateral damage and tension and strain and stress and drama, all because of adults. Adults have made decisions, and now this young boy is left to deal with and wade through the questions of acceptance, identity, culpability, love, purpose, etc. He's asking questions upon questions. I can imagine that there were times in his life that he stops and he thinks about, man, am I the problem in my family? This is all because of me my mom can't do what she wants my dad can't be with me all the time he gets the stink eye from sarah sarah doesn't like me we're always at odds and i am the problem i am the soul i am the issue can you imagine this boy thinking about his life contemplating should i remain here should i continue here? should i just run away if I hadn't been born, none of this drama would have been in my life. Can you imagine going through life just thinking about this? And I don't have to say, can you imagine? For some of us, we've gone through these questions. Kids of divorced parents, they go through all of these questions. Adults make decisions. Kids are there holding the pieces. This boy is going through all of this. So church, I urge you, before you make decisions, seek God's will. 
before you make your decisions, incorporate him into the picture. It might not look like it's going to work out in your own power, but ask God, Father, please move upon my life and open up my doors. And Lord God, give me insight, grant me discernment that I may not make a decision on my own selfish desire that will later on cause collateral damage in my life and the life of others. It's not just about us, guys. Decisions are never executed in vacuums. Look beyond yourself, weigh your choices, and move forward with God's will. Number two, look at verse 14. I want you to understand that a bad hand doesn't guarantee a loss. So Abram rose early in the morning and took bread and a skin of water, and he gave it to Hagar, putting it on her shoulder along with the child and sent her away. Man, this gets to me every time I read this. Does this, can you think about this for a second? Abraham kicks out his son the very next day and he does so in a very shameful way. Abraham is not hurting for money here, church. Abraham is a very, very well-to-do man. He's got herds of animals and the herdsmen to take care of him. He's got food in his pantries and the gold to go restock him. He's got tents upon tents and servants to man them. He's got what he needs. And nevertheless, as he's getting ready to send off his firstborn son, not a guest, not a former employee, his firstborn son who carries his blood. He packs him a loaf of bread and a skin of water. What a bad hand. What a bad hand. That will last all but a day. If you ration it among two people, maybe two. But that's all he gives them. Nevertheless, where is he sending him? These guys are nomads. They're going off into the wilderness. He's sending him off to the wilderness. The wilderness is not a nice place. It's not like, you know, a five-star resort. There are predators out there. There are raiders out there. And look at this. You would have think that a father who's sending out his own flesh and blood would at the very least provide an escort. Or put a contingency of guards to go with them. He's got men. He's fought wars. He's gone to rescue Lot before. He is able to provide manpower. But all he gives them is a baguette and a bottle of water. It's like he's dealing his son a terrible hand to ensure that he fails. I don't like Abram here either. I'm sorry. We got to love these men. We look at the New Testament. These are incredible people, but these are flawed people. This is a book of flawed, broken people. Amen? All right. Remember, though, that this very much displeased Abram. Now look with me, verse 12. Why does he give him a baguette and a bottle of water? But God said to Abraham, Be not displeased because of the boy. Whatever Sarah says to you, do as she tells you. Man, I can imagine the pillow talk that previous night. Hey, honey. I'm going to send Ishmael away tomorrow. 
And um, what provisions should I pack them? Provisions? Indignantly? What? I don't want a single grain to go to that who shall not be named. It belongs to my son. Okay, dear. Ishmael gets a baguette and a bottle of water because decisions are not made in a vacuum. They have collateral damage. Abraham is locked in to his actions because of previous decisions. God has told him what he needs to do. His wife has dictated what's going to happen. And now this is all he can do. A bad hand, though, does not guarantee a loss. You guys ever play cards or seen cards online? About two-thirds of, of hands that are dealt on the flop when you play poker, that is a bad hand. And it's not going to improve when the dealer starts opening up new cards. But yet, some people win with bad hands. For all of you who are resonating with this, all right, I'm, I'm just laying you some context. And I'm, I'm spitfire at you right now, okay? For all of you resonating with Ishmael, you may be powerless over your backstory, but you're not powerless over your behavior. See, he made a bad choice at the party. It was his choice to ridicule and get on the nerves of Isaac. And Isaac is about two, three years old by the time he's weaned and this party is happening. He chose what to do with his little brother. See, we can't control the reactions of how people have. He could not control how Sarah would have reacted to him. And eventually she would have gotten to this decision and point anyways. But on that day, Ishmael sealed his faith because he decided to act the way he did. And it triggered and it launched him into this direction at that moment in time. He couldn't control Sarah any more than you can control anybody else's reaction. But you can be mindful of your responses. He responded poorly. And so you see the problem. And I want you to stop and think about this. I don't know what your story is or what your struggle may be. Maybe you've been dealt a bad hand. So? Look to your neighbor and say, so? Come on, say so. You're going to be dealt others. You can't control how people react to you and how badly they treat you, but you can decide right now how you will respond. So what happens? Now drop down to chapter verse 15. This is where it gets good. Verse 15, say it gets good. When the water in the skin was gone, dropped down, she, Hagar, put the child under one of the bushes. Then she went and sat down opposite him a good way off, about the distance of a bow shop. For she said, let me not look on the death of the child. And she sat opposite him, and she lifted up her voice and wept. Verse 17, and God heard the voice of the boy. Say, and God. 
And God heard the voice of the boy. After his stepmom despised him, and after his dad had abandoned him, after his own mom had left him for dead, Ishmael responded by crying out to God. And the Bible tells us that God heard the voice of the golden boy. No, God heard the voice of this reject. Oh, this just messed up somebody's theology here today. God heard the voice of the reject. He didn't hear the voice of the pastor's son. This is not the voice of the missionary's daughter. This is not the voice of the deacon's child. This is not the voice of the person who's got it all together. This is the voice of the kid who went against his mom again and again and decided to pick up drugs. God heard the voice of the one who went astray and got everything wrong and had everything dealt wrong for him. God heard the voice of this rejected child. Somebody say amen. Y'all awfully too quiet in this place this morning. I don't know what you're grappling with, and I have no clue what baggage you've been lugging around. I have no idea what is chasing you and stemming and staring you down. But what I do know is if you call on the name of the Lord, he will hear you. Jeremiah 33.3, call to me and I will answer you. I will let you know and tell you things that are hidden that you have not known. Call on God. You're resonating with Ishmael? Watch this. It gets better. I told you this is a message of hope. There are no dead zones in God's network. You don't have to pick up the phone and say, can you hear me? Can you hear me now? There are no dead zones when it comes to God's network. Look at this. Verse 17. It says that he's talking to to Hagar. What are you doing over here, lady? What are you doing? Why are you crying? Why are you upset? Why did you walk away so your son can die and you can't hear him and you can't see him? What's going on? The Bible says, and God hears him where he is. Y'all need to think about that revelation for a second. Where he is. This boy has been left for dead without food or water. He is underneath a nondescript bush. He is there in the middle of the wilderness. Is anybody catching this? There is absolutely no way, no reason, no how, how somebody would have heard this kid or known where to go to find this kid. This kid is away from everyone and he's completely out of cell coverage. He's got zero bars on his phone and yet it says that God hears him where he is. See, God hears you where you think you can't be heard. See, I am grateful that God doesn't just hear me when I'm here looking nice, polished, prim, and proper with all of y'all beautiful people. God doesn't just hear us in church. God hears me when I'm in the gutter. God hears me when I'm broken at work. God hears me when I have been abused or neglected. God hears me in the place where I have been disenfranchised and rejected. God hears me in the wilderness, and there is absolute nothing that will block me from God. Now, I, I don't know if you're getting this. There is no dead zones when it comes to God. Where you are, God can find you. 
See, there was absolutely no fire that could have blocked out God from the lives of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. There was no belly of a whale that could block out God from the life of Jonah. There was no demons that could block out God from the life of Mary Magdalene. There were no prisons that could block out God from the life of Peter, Silas, Paul, and list on the people that have come and gone. There was no grave that could block out Lazarus and God. God from the life of Lazarus. And in the same way, there is nobody's botched, half-cocked, half-baked decision that has been made that will block God off from your life. There is no social agenda or politics or this political system. There is no thing in society that will come in and step in the way and block God from you. There is nothing. There's nothing. God hears this boy exactly where he is. No wonder David says, if I make my bed in hell, there you are. Somebody give God a praise right now. God will not be blocked, will not be separated. He has Direct connection with you whenever, wherever, however, and you do not have to be distant from him at any moment. Somebody receive this word today and take this into your life because God wants to change something in your situation. God is for you and nobody will block you from him. Quickly now, let's get to the best part of this. Verse 17, I got to wrap this thing up. Lift up the boy. God says to Hagar, up, lift up the boy and hold him fast with your hand, for I will make him into a great nation. Then God opened up her eyes and she saw a well of water. Come on, church. God hears the boy and he goes to address his mother. There is a revelation here that I just don't have time for. God birthed some spiritual children in this church so that people can catch this revelation. I'll just leave it at that. Anyways, God says, I will make him into a great nation. Friends. This isn't the first time that God says this. He said it to Abraham in verse 13. He said it to Hagar before in chapter 16, verse 10. He told them this very sentence before. On a desperate occasion that Hagar was, you know, conceived with the child. She is having odds with her master, Sarah. She leaves the house. She wants to run away. God speaks to her. I'm going to make a great nation out of your boy. When, when Abram is displeased at the matter because he's got to banish his son from his household, God says, I'm going to make a great nation at the boy. He's going to be a great nation. He's going to birth 12 princes. But now, That this boy has been kicked out from underneath of Sarah's thumb. Now that he is outside of daddy's abundance. Now that he's in the middle of a wilderness left for dead. God brings back the promise and the proof to validate it. See, God always casts votes in your confidence. 
God tells you things and then he goes and votes for you so you can know I am the one God has chosen. God has a plan in my life. God has purpose. God gives you the check to take to the bank. Hagar, there's a nation inside of this boy, and now we can finally begin to bring it out. Come over here and give the boy a drink, mama. Church, what God has planned for you won't fit in your old address. What God has planned for you can't fit back in that studio apartment. What God has for you will not fit where you have been. You got to get out from where you have been so that you can step into where God wants you to be. To where God has called you to be and purposed you to be. And what God's fulfilled for you to accomplish. Somebody is about to get free in this place. There is a nation inside of you. Say, there's a nation in here. There's a nation in here. If you believe it, I want you to say it with all of your heart. There's a nation in here. And although I can't see it, God needs to bust me out of where I've been so he can start giving me some room to breathe. Give me some room to stretch out. Somebody here is getting set free today. I know in Jesus' name. The real reason why you've been evicted is because you need some space. The real reason why those people have rejected you is because you need some space. God has placed some dreams on the inside of you. He's placed some patents on, on the inside of you. He's placed a book on the inside of you, a legacy on the inside of you, a vision on the inside of you. And he needs to get you out of where you've been because he needs to put you where you're going to go so that that stuff can go ahead and flourish. He needs to get you out of your friend group. You know, the ones that always say, oh, here comes the dreamer. Here comes the visionary, the big shot visionary. Here she comes again. Here he comes again, talking a big talk like always. Church, realize God is getting some people out of your life because he needs to give you some room. He doesn't want you to be over here running with some ostriches. He wants you to fly with the eagles. So you need to get out from some of the place. Some of y'all need to start looking and saying, God, I'm going to start complaining. Stop complaining at the rejection that I'm feeling in my life. I need to start embracing some of the rejection that I'm facing. I need to start embracing some of the doors that have been closing in my face because maybe God God, you're trying to get me out of some place and put me someplace else that I can step into my destiny. God takes him out of Abram's house. He takes him out from underneath Sarah's limiting perspective. And he puts him out in the wilderness and he says, son, the reason your dad gave you a baguette and a bottle of water is because that cannot last. I set the standard. I stacked the hand. I dealt you the cards because I want you to understand that where you're going, no man can take you. It's only me and my sustenance and my provision and my wisdom and my mercy and my grace and my favor that's going to get you to where you have been ordained to be. Somebody give God a praise this morning. 
And listen, we're in a new season. We started a new fiscal year, September 1st, 2023. We're in the 2024 fiscal year. I want you to mark your calendars for October 22nd. It's going to be a phenomenal service. And there's going to be some mission, some vision, some core values, some, some, some deep-seated things that God is going to do in the fabric of this place. And I believe with all my heart, as it's burning up in my bones, that God has got a purpose for this church, that God has got a mission for us that is going to shake the very fabric of hell and it's going to depopulate hell and populate heaven. And I believe that God is using us for such a time as this and he is birthing something here. He's already started it in some of you and some of you are starting to catch the vision and the mission. Things are changing. Things are growing. There are things happening on the calendar, but you have not even seen anything yet. And where we're going, we don't have the luxury of not growing. We don't have the luxury of thinking small. What God wants to do with us, I believe that we cannot dishonor him with small faith. So get ready. I want, to, want you to stand with me real quick. I've taken more time than I wanted to. But I want you to understand that our decisions don't happen in a vacuum. There are consequences and there are collateral damage. But I want you to know that no matter how we mess up, God doesn't leave us alone because he doesn't give up. God is a God that is faithful to us. And even though we might be reaping the consequences of somebody's situationship and somebody else's poor decisions, that God has a plan within us that he is faithful to bring to completion. See, I'm blown away at the fact that God opened up Hagar's eyes. The boy cries out to God. God hears the boy. He runs over, God runs over to mama and says, what are you doing? Get your act together, woman. Go pick up your child. There's a nation on the inside of that kid. You need to go help him out. He opens up her eyes to see the well. What are you complaining? You got no water and you're going to die. The kid's life is over. The dreams have ceased. The purpose canceled. All because of some woman and her husband. Yeah, they're the Lord's anointed. Sure, no problem. But I'm God. What you doing giving up? Look over here. There's a well over here. And there, that little boy. 14 years old, little because he's not yet a man, but he's, he, he's right there underneath the nondescript bush. A bush is a kind of tree, is it not? A plant, is it not? He's laying there, rejected. Kind of reminds me of somebody else that's been rejected on a tree. This boy who's been rejected, the mama is told, look up. There's a well right over here. But man couldn't provide for you and it's run out on you. I got for you and it will never run out on you. Because the one who was rejected later on in the New Testament one day said, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink because I am the well of living waters. Whoever comes to me will drink and never grow thirsty. Thirsty. 
See, the mama hears the message when the boy cries out, when we lift up the name of Christ, when we call on to God, God steps in because he has already been rejected for you on a tree and he's made a way of provision for you that nobody else will be able to satisfy or fulfill. This morning, some of y'all might be thinking, what do I do with all the rejection in my life? What do I do? I don't know this message, Pastor Brian. I don't know what's going on. There's so many things going on wrong in my life. First thing I want you to understand is that you may be in the middle, the backside of a desert, but God hears you where you are. He sees you right here. And he's offering you a cup of cold water. He's offering you the sustenance that you need. He wants to change the direction and the trajectory of your life. If you would just say, Lord, I need to begin a relationship, not with those who can provide for my flesh, but God, for those for you who can provide for my soul. If that's you today and you've walked away from your relationship with Jesus, or you've never entered into a relationship with him, then resonate with Ishmael and come meet the one who was rejected on the cross of Calvary. But who paid the ultimate price so that you could be set free. If that's you today, you don't have to come to this altar. I just want you to lift up your hands. I want to come find you at the end of service and pray with you. With every eye bowed, uh, closed, and every heart, head bowed, can you just go ahead and make this your moment? Don't leave this place without changing your heart. God's got a nation inside of you. He's got dreams for you and purpose for you. He's got beauty for your ashes. He wants to change your life. If that's you today, I just want you to say the simple prayer. Father, I receive Jesus, your son as Lord and Savior of my life. Forgive my sins. Wash me clean. Help me to live, to follow Christ. In your precious and mighty name. Amen. If that's you, I want to talk to you at the end of service. But now for the rest of us, as we're contemplating this, God's got a nation on the inside of you. He's got plans to fulfill in your life. Someone else may have a better talent, better situation, more money, more whatever. But he's got something for you to do and it's gonna blow everybody else out of the water. I don't know what the application is for you. Some of y'all need to do some surgery with your contact list. Some of you guys need to come to this altar and say, Lord, forgive me for my small faith. Some of y'all need to say, Lord, it's been too long since I had butterflies before I went to church. Because I was too giddy and too excited to see what you're going to do today. Who you're going to heal and how you're going to speak and how you're going to show up. 
It's been too long since you've had that emotion and you say, God, forgive me from going complacent or apathetic. I need an army of people who wants to help me kick back the darkness and take back what the enemy has stolen. I don't need people who want to sit down. You want to sit down, go join a club. This is an army. God's got work for us to do, saints. He's got plans for us. And it's for the good of everyone. Through all nations shall be blessed by your seed. Lift up your hands, Father. I invite you, Holy Spirit. Father God, I invite your grace, mercy, and love. Jesus, I invite you to walk among these pews, to speak into every heart. Go beyond my words. Lord God, I am just giving what I feel you have placed within my heart. God, I pray that you would take it far beyond my limitations. That today, Jesus, you set people free. Prophetically, I declare that in this room and Lord God, at the sound of my voice here, those who can hear it online today or some other day, Father, I pray that every single person has experienced a shift today, a change on the inside that God is going to cause a domino effect. of grace and mercy, change and transformation. Lord, do not allow anybody to confuse, Father, this confidence that you have placed within to be arrogant, God. And Lord, I pray that any person who is tempted to hear this word but feels, Lord God, doubtful because they're worried about pride, Lord, I rebuke that in Jesus' name because there is a fine line between arrogance and confidence and you're looking for the confident in Jesus' mighty name. Lord, I release this over this congregation. And all of God's people said, amen. Amen.